0: Welcome back, everyone. It's an exciting time for the Atlanta Braves. They just made three additions to the bullpen, which I'd love to talk to you about. We're coming up on the trade deadline, so there could be more potential trades coming up. I know we've talked about trades a lot lately, but, man, it's that time of year, and, man, it's a fun time of year. So let's get into it. Let's talk about these three trades specifically and maybe some trades that we could potentially see based on some rumors that have come out how crazy these additions would be. Alright, let's get into it. The Atlanta Braves currently have a 99.6% chance of winning their division. Being this late into the season and having this massive gap of a lead, it would basically take a miracle of the Phillies coming in and sweeping the Braves all seven games that they play them to really have a chance of catching the Braves. I mean, think about it. If the Braves and the Phillies were to play, the Phillies would have to sweep the Braves All seven games, and they still would be five games behind in the standings. So, that being said, the Atlanta Braves are obviously looking for the postseason during this trade deadline, which is going to make it interesting. The Braves pretty much know it's almost it's virtually guaranteed that they're going to make the postseason. So this trade deadline isn't to help keep them afloat to make the postseason. This is going to be once they're in the postseason, how we're going to ensure that they make it far in the postseason. And those two things are not always the same. It does it mean what I mean by that is your targets of who you're trying to target could change. But I want to take a step back and look at these three players that the Braves have acquired so far. Very minor moves, right? You got the Yanni Chirinos, you got the Pierce Johnson, and the Taylor Hearn. And I kind of want to address these because I've seen all over social media people complaining and saying things like, oh, this is the big splash, Alex Anthopoulos is terrible at his job. Well, first of all, when has Alex Anthopoulos truly let you down? other than signing a free agent of Marcelo Zuna which has been who has been pretty much league average or worse since he signed that deal which of course even then Alex Anthopoulos signed him for less than what was projected ha- haven't you trusted Alex Anthopoulos by now which rates it's, it's just kind of Hilarious that so many people are complaining. And I do know that it's human nature that people, one, either just like to complain or, two, just like to get attention from complaining. So I get that, especially on social media. I don't think if you were to talk to people face-to-face when they're not hiding behind an anonymous Facebook or profile picture on Facebook or Twitter, they probably would be saying something different. So who knows? But I just wanted to talk about it because these are not the type of moves that you would complain about. They're purely depth moves in the first place and they make sense. Have you not seen how many people have been hurt? You have Jesse Chavez who is just transferred to the 60 Day I.L. You got Nick Anderson who's on the 60 Day I.L. A.J. Minter who is doing his rehab assignment Dylan Lee doesn't have a timetable to come back. So the Braves, even though they have a solid bullpen, have been hit hard with injuries. These are the type of players that that are brought in. Taylor Hearn and Yanni Trinos especially, where they are purely guys that the Braves essentially gave up nothing to get. You know, they paid they just gave cash considerations for Taylor Hearn and picked up Yanni Trinos off waivers. These are not the type of trades you're like, oh man, we wasted prospect capital that we could have used on a trade later to bring in these guys. No, they essentially just was like, you know what, we'll take up the rest of the bill to take these guys on for minimal salary because other teams didn't want them. And are these guys going to make a big difference? Probably not. But you know what, it's depth. And both of these guys... Are the types of players that you could just let loose, and it's no big deal. But here's the thing: also a Taylor hearn he has a minor league option. He is not required to be on the major league roster. They could option option him to Triple A, and not take up a roster spot. Why wouldn't you do that? You can just bring him to the minor league system, see if you can work on him a little bit. The Braves have a recent history of making pitchers perform pretty well when they come from other teams. See if they can make it work, and if not. No big deal, you just added some minor league depth. Okay, injuries happen, we've seen it, it's pretty obvious. And the Braves basically gave up nothing. They gave up a minimal amount of cash to bring in a relief pitcher that has some upside. By the way, the Braves are just paying the prorated amount of $1.463 million, right? And this Taylor Hearn, if he turns out to be good, is not a free agent until 2026. So the Braves just got a guy, a reclamation project, basically for free, that has a minor league option that they can send back to, to AAA or lower if they wish. And if he turns out being lightning in a bottle, he's under team control for cheap through 2025. Odds are he's not going to play a big part in the, on the Braves team ever. It's purely depth, emergency type situations. He did have an excellent 2020. Where he had an expected ERA of 3.25, and his expected weighted on base plus contact was in the top 10% of the league. Of course, that was 2020, but his expected batting average against was only 182, small sample size, but again, he does have some upside. Why not try him out? If it doesn't work out, oh well, not a big deal. Didn't give up anything. Elite, and especially, the key here is that they did not give up anything that they can use in another trade. Yanni Chirinos also has a minor league option. So they can option him to the minors at any time this year if they want to. They can just use him as depth for now and then option him back to the minor leagues. No big deal. He has had a somewhat bad season, over 622 Innings pitch, he has a 4.02 ERA, and his FIP is even higher, higher at 5.52. And if you look at his StatCast page, <laughs> it's almost comical. Like his average exit velocity against, hard hit percentage against, expected ERA, expected batting average against, expected slugging percentage against, strikeout rate, swing and miss rate, and fastball spin rate are all in the bottom 5% of Major League Baseball. He is not performing well at all. The only thing that he's doing well at is he is limiting walks. He's in the best 42% of the league at limiting walks. So yeah, this guy is not the type that you're bringing in to be a game changer. That is pretty evident. In 2022 though, in a limited amount of time, he did show some elite stuff. He had an expected batting average against him of only 226, an expected slugging percentage of only 330, and an expected ERA of only 3.01, and he was only giving up his walk percentage was only 3.3%. So he does show chance of showing up some elite stuff, although that wasn't a limited sample size of a massive seven innings. So you don't want to lean into that too much. And also, you don't really want to lean into his ERA this year either. It's an ERA plus of 102, meaning it's 2% better than league average, that 4.04 ERA. But his FIP is really bad, and he's giving up 1.4 home runs per 9 innings. And his strikeout-to-walk ratio is 1.55, which is the lowest of his career. So, yes, looking at Yanni Chirinos, absolutely, he is not the type of guy to get excited about. And I get the frustration on him. I do but here's the thing a lot of his issues stemmed from the fact that because of tommy john surgery he only had 18 and one and one-third total innings from 2022 from 2020 to 2022 and so he's the type of pitcher that injuries really have messed him up and he hasn't been able to get fully healthy so there's a chance that he could you know step it up and play well and on, on top of that, like I said, that he has a minor league option remaining. The Braves can just option him to the minors rather than putting him back on waivers. Of course, he'll take a 40-man roster spot, but still, that's an option they have. And if they don't want to keep him, they can just release him or put him on waivers themselves. It doesn't matter. Like, literally, it's a depth move. They, the Braves are depleted in the bullpen right now, so why not just put him out there If they're up by seven months, you know, it's not that big of a deal And he has a minor league option and I get oh why don't you just bring up some of the kids from triple-a Do you really want to start start the service clock on a player just because you need to fill a 26-man spot on a major league roster with a bullpen arm? No, that doesn't make any sense Another nice thing about this contract is the Braves only owe about five thousand five thousand five hundred and fifteen thousand left on his contract and then he's arbitration eligible next year so what that means is that if they do like him he does perform well he can go through the arbitration process and he'll be under team control for another year if he does end up panning out and being really good so the braves now have team control over a player for another year at a very cheap cost and if he doesn't work out no problem this is a very very low risk high reward type move These are exact type of moves you need to make to be successful. You have to take risks on bringing someone in and hoping they do well. That's just part of it. And the risk is extremely low. From a risk standpoint, as some of you know, I'm a risk management professional, so I love talking about this kind of stuff. But if you've got got a chance where you can make something better with an extremely low risk, with a chance of a very high reward, you do it every single time because if it doesn't work out it's a low risk anyways so just cut the player the biggest risk is that they pay five hundred fifteen thousand dollars and to me and you that's a lot of money to the braves who have a two hundred plus million dollar salary this year it's not it's the type of move you make especially when you're not going to be spending a lot of money at the trade deadline anyways because you're already over the luxury tax threshold these are the type of moves you have to make you have to gamble on guys that they can make a turnaround and if they don't work out just option them to the minors because it's not that big of a deal they can option to the minors and then he can go through arbitration or they can just release him if if they don't want to pay him which is probably most likely what going to happen but what if he does turn out he also has starting experience so he can do a spot start uh, for the fifth starter if he, they need to he has reliever experience. He can do that as well. Experience is not everything. Uh, we we can talk about that. I'm not a huge fan of the whole postseason experience or whatever. I I think that's a lot a big load of BS. If I'm being honest with you, but I will say this: depth at a starting starting role in depth at a, as a reliever for a very minimal cost to me is worth it. Is he going to be the needle? that makes them win the World Series? Absolutely not. But what he can do is eat a few innings here and there and so that the Braves don't have to weaken up or wear out the bullpen that will be on the postseason roster that will be helping the Braves win a World Series. He can prolong having to wait on guys like Kyle Wright for a few extra rotations through the rotation, someone that could potentially help the Braves win the World Series. This is not the type of guy... That, like I said, is going to be, oh, now that we have Yanni, we're going to win the World Series. No, this is, we're going to keep the guys that are going to help us win the World Series rested so that when they do get there, they can perform at their best. Major League Baseball is an extremely long season. We are on pace for the most injuries to pitchers in a single season, all time. So depth is important. And yes, you can make the argument that you could bring up someone else, sure but Yanni was available on waivers, they claimed him. It's pretty simple, it was a very smart move. So I wanted to talk to you guys about something, Magic Mind. I'll be honest with you, I don't typically like green drinks, if you will, but I was starting to get to the point to where I needed to try something new I was drinking way too much coffee I couldn't stay focused and I was constantly crashing from taking so much caffeine so you know what I decided to try it I typically don't like green drinks I don't like the taste the flavor the consistency But magic mind was different you know it's the type of drink I could take as a a little shot you can take it anytime and I started taking it with me at work and it made my life way better. I was able to focus better. I was able to cut back on my coffee intake. I have a desk job, and I was drinking way too much coffee. It's really helped me to focus, and also it's allowed me to focus more on doing my research for these podcasts. It takes a lot of time and effort to do the research and focus to think of points, to get your point across, and Magic Mind has really helped me with that and the great thing is that it's got all natural ingredients, that's my favorite part about it. I I personally am trying to get more natural with everything I eat and drink, and this has been awesome. It's got all different types of natural, matcha, lion's mane mushrooms, cordyceps mushrooms, and guess what, I don't even like mushrooms, but I like this drink, it's crazy. That's awesome. I highly recommend going to the Magic Mind website, and you can get a limited 56 off your first subscription and then 20% off a one-time purchase with this unique Braves dugout code Go to www.magicmine.com slash Braves and enter the code Braves20 for your limited 56% off subscription within the next 10 days You guys can thank me later Okay, so let's talk about the one player that most people are probably most confused about is the fact that the trade that happened that actual real prospects were sent away was to get Pierce Johnson from the Rockies. If you look just simply at his ERA, you see 6.0 and you think, wow, why in the world would Alex Anthopoulos trade for him? Well first, let's talk about ERA with relievers. It is very volatile with relievers. Relievers do not pitch nearly as many innings as starting pitchers, so they could have one bad outing and it would drastically change their ERA. So it's very important to look at their underlying peripherals when you trade for a relief pitcher because you're trading for what they're going to do in the future, not what they've done in the past. And if they've been pitching well recently, especially for a rental reliever like Pierce Johnson is, you got to look at that kind of stuff. And there are definitely some positives. But first, I want to say people keep getting upset about what the Braves gave up for him. Well, here's the thing. The Atlanta Braves have the worst farm system in Major League Baseball. Not all top 30 prospects in every farm system are created equally. So, for example, a, top, a, a player that's ranked number one for the Braves would not be ranked number one for the Orioles a player that's ranked number 30 for the Orioles would probably be in the top 10 for the Braves. It's very it's not the same. And I'll give an example. The perfect example is this trade right here. The Rockies who are ranked 19th to the Braves 30th when it comes to overall prospect rankings or you know how a prospect or a farm rather is ranked. The Braves are ranked 30th, the Rockies are ranked 19th. Victor Vodnik was the Braves' number 10 prospect. When he was traded to the Rockies, he dropped all the way down to their 20th ranked prospect as soon as he was traded. That just shows that you cannot look at top 30 rankings from two farm systems and think they're the same. You also can't look at a bottom 30 farm and think, oh man, a top 10 prospect in a farm system, that's kind of a lot to give for a rental reliever. Not if it's the worst farm system in Major League Baseball. Like I said, they're not all created equal. The Braves basically got this reliever for almost free because Vodnik really didn't have a spot on the Braves in the future anytime soon. He was purely a trade asset and he was not going to return a very good player in the first place. And when I say very good, I mean like a splashy trade anyways. He was not going to be the key piece. He would have just been an addition to another piece that was the headliner, if that makes sense. Viktor Vodnik was never going to be the headliner of a big splashy trade that the Braves made. It wasn't going to happen. And we should probably trust Alex Anthopoulos on that in the first place. But I'll tell you, even if it wasn't Alex Anthopoulos doing it, I'd be saying the same thing. A side note real quick on Pierce Johnson before we start getting into his numbers and things like that. It's really interesting and I actually learned something because of this trade. And I love learning something new. This is why I do what I do. I love learning about the sport and the business side specifically. And one thing I learned is that players coming from overseas leagues generally get language in their contracts that allows them to circumvent the normal service time rules. That's why Pierce Johnson was able to become a free agent this past offseason despite having between three and four years of service time. So because he played in Japan, he did not have, since he came over from Japan, he did not have to worry about the whole service time or a team having control. So if you were to look at Baseball Reference, who does not have it set up on their site to... Factor that in because it's such a rare occurrence. I don't blame Baseball Reference for that. Uh, if that's the one thing they get wrong, I mean, holy cow, they get so many things right. But if you were to look at Baseball Reference, the player because they didn't factor that in that that language in his contract in, it shows that he was actually under team control through like the 2025 season. So it looked like oh, it's like oh man, the Braves get him for. All they had to give up was Victor Vodnik, and they got him for a year and a half of team control. That's awesome, but actually, he's a free agent after this year because since he came from overseas, he is not subject to team control like a normal player would be. When I say normal, I mean the average player coming to Major League Baseball the way that they do. So he's not under the same rules as you know. First, you got your your years that you pre-arbitration, and then your years of arbitration, and then you hit free agency. It's not the same typical team control type scenario for players that come from overseas. So that was, that was really interesting. I learned something there. All right, let's look at some promising numbers for Pierce Johnson and why the Braves might have traded for him. Like I said, when you trade for a player, you trade for what they're going to do for you in the future and not what they've done in the past. And he's showing signs of doing great things in the future. Yes, he had a 6.00 ERA when the Braves traded for him, but he has a 3.27 ERA in his last 12 games and 58 strikeouts on the season and only 39 innings on the year. If you look at his ERA on the road, so that's away from Coors Field, which obviously we all most of us know is the worst part for pitching, which is why the Rockies have a hard time bringing in pitchers if they don't draft him or trade for them, is that he had a 4.11 ERA, which isn't amazing by any means, but he had a 4.11 ERA away from course, which shows a huge split in ERA between the two. And, of course, ERA, again, is volatile, but one of the reasons it's volatile is you can be very unlucky, which he was. On the road, he had a batting average of balls in play of 514 typically league average is around 300 what that means is when a player puts a ball in play what the chances are of them getting a hit so if a pitcher has a an ER, a batting average of balls in play above 300 typically they've been a bit unlucky if they have one below 300 typically they have been lucky in this case He has been massively unlucky. He has had the worst batting average of balls in play, second worst batting average of balls in play in Major League Baseball of pitchers that have pitched more than 30 innings. To me, that shows right there that odds are his numbers are going to, his ERA is going to drop just based on that. You know, if you were to have like a, a batting average of balls in play of like 320 when the league average is 300 i'm not going to be like oh well chances are he's going to have a massive shift in his numbers but a 514 it's virtually guaranteed that if he was pitching the exact same way his era would drop bat his batting average against him would drop hits against him would drop everything that's bad would drop except for walks because batting average of balls of play does not affect walks also would point out that my buddy Trent, you guys know him as Trent Ciarte on Twitter, he's been on the show before, good friend of mine. He pointed out that at Coors Field in 23.2 innings pitched, he had a 7.23 ERA, 6.03 FIP and a 4.79 Expected FIP and remember FIP is fielding independent pitching, so that means how a pitcher is actually doing because ERA itself could be inflated because you have bad defenders behind you with terrible range that are not getting plays that the average major league defense behind you would be getting away from Coors Field in 15.1 innings pitched. He has a 4.11 ERA, a 2.31 FIP and a 2.72 expected FIP. That means he has been extremely unlucky, and I want to give you an example of, or just give you a reference of how good a 2.72 FIP would be. If we look at qualified relief pitchers, which means at this point they've pitched at least 30 innings in this season so far. If he had a FIP of 2.72, it would be better than any player on the Atlanta Braves as a relief pitcher and would rank him 19th in all of Major League Baseball among qualified relievers. If we look at just FIP and not expected FIP, if he was to have the same FIP he has away from Coors as he does for his entire year, it would rank him 9th among all qualified relief pitchers with Josh Hader. Yes, Josh Hader. That's who he would tie with. One of the best relievers in Major League Baseball for years. That's how well he's been pitching away from Coors. If we looked at how he would rank among players with expected FIP away from Coors, if he was to have the expected FIP away from Coors across his entire line of pitching, that ranks him 6th among all qualified relief pitchers. 6th. Pierce Johnson has been pitching at an elite level, outside of course, and that's on the entire season in which he has a 6.00 ERA. If you look just at his last 12 games, it's even better than that. Looking at his peripherals, there are some bad things. Players do hit the ball hard against him, bottom 3% of the league. His average exit velocity against him is the bottom 8%, which really hurts his expected ERA expected weighted on-base average, but again, this is overall including at Coors Field. Okay, I'm giving you numbers including Coors Field, but let's look at some of the positive things. He's in the top 11% in all of Major League Baseball and Strikeout percentage, and the top 17% of Swing and Miss. He's got really good Swing and Miss stuff. His curve spin rate is in the top 7%. His fastball velocity is in the top 13%. He's got some really, really good stuff. He just walks too many batters. He's in the bottom six percent in the league and walks, but again, with well I say walk percentage is what I should say. But again, when you have a small sample size like a reliever, walk rates, strikeout rates and stuff, they can be volatile. But there are some definitely some things to be excited about. Pierce Johnson is not the type of guy that is going to come in and be a game changer. That was never supposed to be his role. What he was supposed to come in is sure up a bullpen that's already good. This was not a big, splashy move that was supposed to be the difference between them winning a World Series or not. This was helping them to continue to have a solid bullpen for the rest of the year, and if he works out, great, he makes the postseason roster. If he doesn't work out, no big deal. We got A.J. Minter, hopefully Dylan Lee, maybe Jesse Chavez, We'll see. We have some more bullpen help coming from the injured list. This is a guy that's just here to help while the players are injured. And if he works out, great. If he doesn't, great. It's a low-risk, high-reward type of move. It's the exact type of move you need to make when you hardly have any money left on your payroll to spend. Remember, the Atlanta Braves, for the first time in franchise history, is over the luxury tax. And even if you include inflation, it's the largest salary they've ever had. So it's not like the Braves have a lot of spending room here. And I know people have the argument, well, you know, it's not, it's not our money, so I don't care. They can spend as much as they want. That's not really how it works, okay? If you get under financial constraints, it affects your team for the future. And yes, it does make sense for the Braves to go all in right now with the roster that they have. So we could see more spending. Who knows? I can't really say for certain. Uh, this is the type of move that doesn't really matter anyways because he's a rental as far as money. And the Braves are on the hook for the prorated amount of $5 million. So it's even less than $2.5 million. So the Braves are on the hook for about 2000000 million-ish. So they're not spending a lot of money on finances either. I think it's a great move. I am all for it. I support it. Not that Alex Anthopoulos needs my approval by any means, or the Braves for that matter. But you guys are here. You obviously want to hear my opinion on it. And I want you to know that I'm a big fan of that move. The other two moves, purely depth. There's no even real reason to be like it's a good or bad move. I would also like to suggest that maybe don't make statements like, oh, Alex Anthopoulos is such a terrible... GM because he made these moves. He could have gotten this, or the Braves really need this, or the Braves need this. They don't need this. Listen, when a trade like this is made, where it's a low-risk trade, it's not mutually exclusive. That doesn't mean this is the only move that can or will be made. There can absolutely be more moves made, and Victor Vodnik was not the type of piece that you had to worry about ending your chances of making a good trade. One thing that would be, Oh, what is that trade? Why would they do that? Is the Angels just acquiring Lucas Giolito in a year where they gave up one of their top prospects? It's a top 60 prospect in Major League Baseball for a rental starter when they're probably going to struggle to make the postseason in the first place just so they can save face from keeping Otani. That is a trade that you'd scratch your head on. Thanks so much. I'm excited that by the time you hear next week's episode, the trade deadline will come and pass and we'll have more trades to talk about, hopefully, for the Braves or more trades across the league and how they'll affect the National League East and the Braves' odds of making the World Series. As always, don't forget to like and subscribe to the show to get it out to fans or listeners of the Braves that have not heard about this show yet. I would also like to say, if you want to follow us on Twitter at Braves Dugout Pod, please do so, or S People Sports on Twitter, or X, or whatever it's going to be called. You can email the show at BravesDugoutPod at gmail.com, and we have a Facebook page, which has been blowing up, Facebook group, which has been blowing up, so please join those, and let's top some ball. As always, go Braves.